Amen. Good morning. It's uh, great to be here with the Shoreline Ministry. Uh, as Gio shared, uh, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, actually, um, I think I met Gio, might have been before I was baptized. Um, Gio and my sister Sandra were part of the uh, East Region Campus Ministry. And uh, I think I went to uh, one of the campus events, like a devotional, and uh, my sister introduced me to Gio. And uh, so we met over 15 years ago for the first yeah. time. And then they moved to uh, Orange County, and uh, we spent a few years there together. Um, he led uh, our campus ministry, as he shared, and, and uh, we were actually roommates for a little bit. So I have some stories about Gio, but he only gave me 35 minutes, so there's not enough time to share all the stories about Gio. But um, uh, I knew Gio and Karen before they dated. Uh, when Gio liked Karen and Karen didn't like Gio back. And then Karen liked Gio and Gio pretended not to like Karen back. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be easy. I'm going to play hard to get. Like Gio, it's so obvious. Just give it up. And then, um, then they dated for three days, got engaged, and three days later they got married. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. Um, I was uh, actually Gio was uh, best man in my wedding. I was in his wedding, but I was not the best man. Just saying, I'm not keeping track. But so you can tell who's more grateful in our friendship. Basically, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, and I know over ten years ago they came up here. Uh, they left Orange County, and it was hard to see them go. And uh, Gio's been here over 10 years, and this is the first time he's asked me to come to speak. So you can tell there's, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some feelings there in our friendship. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, as I said, I lived with Gio, and, and um, it, it was great living with Gio, and had a chance to, um, I would be there when people would come over for appointments, and uh, as he counseled some of the campus brothers. And I remember one in particular, there was a brother coming in, to, uh, he was, you know, kind of emotional, and uh, there's a sister that he liked in the ministry, and she didn't seem to like him back, and, and so he, he went in to talk to Gio, and, and I knew what he was going to talk to Gio about, and I knew it wasn't going to go well, and, and I was in the other room, and, and uh, so this brother's sharing with Gio, and I really like her, but I don't know if she likes me back, and I'm really struggling with bro, and I'm feeling really sad, and, and Gio, with all the mercy and compassion that he could muster, looked at the brother and said, bro, she doesn't like you. She was scoping out the fellowship, bro. She doesn't like you. Get over it. Yeah. That was Gio a long time ago. I know he's very, very subtle now. I know he's a lot more quiet and reserved. I know he's changed a lot. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, it was... Uh, you know, I really appreciate my friendship with Gio. Uh, there are many things that I learned, uh, you know, about God, and, and there's things that I learned from Gio uh, and living with him and just in our friendship. Uh, I learned a love for the Old Testament that, that really started with Gio and living with him and seeing how much he just loved the Old Testament. And, and just uh, it, it really put in me a seed of, of, 
of desiring to do that. And, 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 and since then, I really have loved the Old Testament and, and the stories and, and being able to preach from it. I learned that from Gio. Uh, I learned to uh, preach with passion, uh, you know, from Gio. And, and uh, I'm sure you, you guys have experienced a lot of that. But uh, uh, just his passion uh, as he spoke the Word of God, I learned that from him. And, you know, one of the things that, that what I appreciate the most is we have, we really have a great friendship, and I, I'm sure you could tell. We, we tease each other a lot, and we have a lot of fun, but, but we're, we're also tell each other the truth. Right. And, and you need friends like that in the church that, that you can have a lot of fun with, but we'll also we'll speak yeah. the truth to each other in love. Yeah. And, and I have that with Gio, you know, over the last, you know, over 12 years that we've been friends. And, and so it is uh, great to be here. I'm very, very... Um, uh, humble to be here, and it's great to be here with you and Karen. We're actually going to have a chance to go camping this week uh, with them and our kids, and our kids will get, get a chance to spend time together, and, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, wanted to, uh, I think, is the uh, projector working? Let's see, let's see. Uh, I wanted to show a couple slides. If my wife wasn't able to come, it's kind of hard to see it, but um, can we do the lights somewhere? They're off? Oh, here we go. Well, a little better. Uh, but uh, I know it's hard to see, but that's my wife and my kids. Uh, uh, my wife, Candace, was part of the campus ministry there at UCI as well, and Mian was there when we were there, and, and, uh, and so we've been married uh, for uh, nine years. We have two kids, Sophia is six, and Eli is five. Um, and uh, the next slide, I think there's another picture of my kids, but it's kind of hard to see it. But, um, oh, there we go. That's my brother. That's not me. That's, uh, that's my brother David, and uh, that's my kids, uh, Eli and Sophia. And uh, so it, it's been great to, uh, to be in the church for 15 years and to see God uh, do a lot of things in my life that certainly I don't deserve, but He's blessed me, and, uh, and I feel very, very humbled. Um, I wanted to uh, have a prayer before we get into uh, today's lesson. Uh, Gio asked me to just share whatever uh, what was on my heart, and, 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 and I'm actually doing a lesson that I've done I did before in Orange County, and I actually did it in Phoenix. I heard that a Phoenix, somebody from Phoenix moved here recently, and I thought, well, if they heard the lesson, I hope they liked it because they're going to hear it again. So, uh, but uh, uh, let's, uh, let's go to God a word of prayer before we open the word. Amen. Father, it's uh, great to be together today. Uh, God, I'm so grateful that um, just being able to come up here and sing the same songs, being able to have fellowship with people that uh, I've never seen in my life, and yet we know that we have a bond because of you. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, Gio and Karen. Thank you for their work here. Uh, thank you for our partnership in the gospel. And, uh, Father, I'm so thankful, even just coming from San Antonio recently and just seeing disciples from all over the world singing together, singing the same songs, and being able to have something so special. And, Father, we know it's only possible because of you. Uh, Father, I pray that as we uh, open your word that uh, it will really inspire our hearts, it will open our hearts uh, to want to be closer to you, and to want to be more like your son, Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of the lesson is uh, Poured Out. If we can go to the next uh, slide here. Uh, poured Out. And we're going to be reading in uh, the book of John. And uh, these are passages that uh, I'm sure we're, we're all very familiar with. Uh, I don't think this will be the first time that we've read these passages but I hope and pray that maybe something new will, will speak to our hearts as we, as we read them. Uh, we're going to begin in, uh, in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. And uh, this is uh, less than a week before Jesus is crucified. 
and uh, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead not, not long before this, this time, and, and so we're going to pick it up right there and, and read about this story here in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And so we see this, this scene here that um, this is shortly after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And of course, Mary is Lazarus' bro uh, sister. And so you can imagine what she must be feeling right now. As her, her brother had been dead, he was buried, and then Jesus raised him from the dead. And so they're doing this dinner in, the honor, in honor of Jesus, and here she is. It says that she took an alabaster jar of expensive perfume, and she poured it out on his feet. And it says that the smell filled the room. And, you know, of course, Judas objected, and he's talking about the money and how much it's worth and all this kind of stuff. And the Bible, of course, tells us why he was objecting to it. Not because he really cared, but because he was a thief. But you see this offering of Mary of gratitude. You know, she was extravagant in her gratitude to Jesus. Because what she did from a humanistic standpoint was very foolish. You know, to take this perfume that was worth a year's wages. Just imagine that. Imagine what the average wage would be for today's, in today's terms for a whole year. And she took something that was worth that much and just poured it out on Jesus' feet. Humanistically speaking, that was foolish. You know, and maybe some of us would look at that and go, well, gosh, I mean, I know she's excited, but, geez, you should maybe save some of that, Right? I know I'd probably be tempted to think that. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, she was extravagant in her gratitude. It was an act of worship and reverence before Jesus. And it made me think about just myself. Am I that extravagant in my gratitude to God? And all that God has done for me, am I that extravagant as she was? You know, what does my offering of gratitude or love look like? We can see what hers looked like. What does mine look like? Would I be moved the same way as she was? And so she took this jar and broke it and poured it out on Jesus' feet. Come on. And if you think about it, if we can go to the next slide. You think it was just a, you know, a jar here. But if you think about it, we all have jars. In her case, it was just a jar of perfume that she poured out. But it made me think about we all can have jars. Maybe our jar is our security. Maybe it's our time. Things that are so valuable to us that the temptation is to hold on to it and not pour it out before Jesus. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's just 
you know, a comfortable life. Maybe it's our gifts and talents that uh, maybe we use, but maybe we don't use them all out for God. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the fear of being known. You know, that could be a jar that, that we don't want to let people in. And so we hold on to that jar. We don't want to pour it out because we don't want to be fully known. And so I don't know, maybe, you know, some that is obviously very personal. But what's in your jar? What, what is the hardest thing for you to pour out right. before God? Right. To not hold back. You know, again, humanistically speaking, what she did was foolish. But in Matthew, uh, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 26. In verse 10, this is the same story from a different account, the account of Matthew. It says, Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so what humanistically looks foolish, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. As she poured out everything for him at his feet, I know that I'd be tempted to look at that and go, man, that's, that's foolish. That's too much. But the Bible calls it beautiful. And the Bible says this will be told in memory of her. And think about it now, you know, over 2,000 years later, we read this story. Jesus wanted this to be told as an example of a devotion to Him. And, you know, I thought about, I've been a Christian, I became a Christian in the campus ministry in 1997. I've been a Christian for uh, over 15 years. And I know I'm sure we have people here that have been Christians for much longer than that. And what I've noticed in myself is that as I get older as a Christian, even though at once maybe I poured out all my jars in the past, I'm tempted to start collecting new jars. You know, maybe the jars look different now than they were when I was 20. Because now I have a family. I have a wife and I have kids. That could be a jar that I'm afraid to pour out. And so the older that I'm a Christian, I'm tempted to accumulate new jars. And of course, you know, success in terms of wealth when you're 20 is different than when you're 36 or 40. Or 45, right? And so we may be Christians for a long time and we can maybe accumulate new jars that we didn't have in the past that maybe we poured out before but now we have new jars. And that's my question is, do you have jars? You know, what is in your jar that that you're tempted to hold on to but yet you know that God calls us to pour it out? You know, back when I became a Christian, I, I wasn't married. I was a college student. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And, and so, you know, my future was ahead of me. And, and I didn't really, I mean, I had jars, obviously things that I needed to give up in the world and things that I wanted to pursue that I needed to give up. But my life is very different now. Now I'm married. Now I have two kids. Uh, my, my son has special needs. He, is, uh, he was diagnosed with autism. And he's doing great. God has been incredible in his life. But that's a jar. Yeah. I didn't have that jar 15 years ago. Yeah. It's a new one. 
that I got to be willing to pour out. And, and, and to be poured out means you're surrendered. Right. You're fully devoted. You trust God with everything. You trust God with your life. You trust God with your family. Yeah. Uh, because I know over time we're tempted to draw lines. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You've noticed that? I, I've drawn lines. Yeah. I've drawn lines in my heart. I won't say it. But I'll draw lines of, well, I'm willing to do this, but not this. I'm willing to go here, but not here. I don't want to be asked to do too much. I can do this much. Right? And we can draw lines. And those can be jars. Because maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our uh, being willing to to sacrifice. That could be a jar that we can accumulate over time. Mm, You know, maybe we have jars of, of... because we've been hurt in the past, right? Anybody here been hurt in the past in the church? Yeah, okay, I think we all could raise our hand, right? And that could become a jar. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to serve or I don't want to extend myself because I've been hurt. That can become a jar in our hearts. But it's really not about the church, it's about Jesus. You know, she poured out this perfume at the feet of Jesus. And our devotion is to Jesus. Yeah. And when we are devoted to Jesus, obviously that overflows into everything we do and the relationships in the church and everything. But I became a follower of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. And so really I have no reason not to be poured out. I have no excuse not to pour myself out and my life out for Jesus because that's who I'm following. And if you think about Jesus, I mean, what better example of someone who lived poured out? Jesus was the greatest example. He lived a life that was poured out, and he literally poured out his life. He poured out his blood, right, for all of us. Uh, let's continue in John, further along in the, in the uh, chapter here. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Let's go to, okay, you got it, great. In verse 20, he says, Now, there were, among, there, were, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And Jesus says, unless you die, you will remain a single seed. And it's very much the same concept as being poured out, right? Because when you, when you die to yourself, You're really pouring yourself out. He says, but if you die, you produce many seeds. And I had to ask myself as I read this, as I did this study, is what kind of seeds am I producing in my family, in my wife, in my children? What are the seeds that I'm producing in them and my friends? What kind of seeds are we producing in our coworkers, right, in our neighbors, in this lost world? Are we producing seeds of faith and love, growth? Service, salvation. Are those the seeds that I'm producing? And if not, if I'm not producing those seeds in my family or in those around me, maybe the issue is 
that I just don't want to die. Maybe that's it. I just don't want to die. Because it's not easy to do that, right? That's why it's called dying to yourself. It's hard to do. And I had to really think and ask myself, then, then am I really willing to die? I don't mean literally. You know, I mean, I think all of us, if we said, would you, would you die for Jesus? I think we would say yes. But the harder thing is to do that every day, right? In the smaller ways. Yeah. You know, to die to ourselves, to follow Jesus. Am I willing to die? You know, again, the jar could be our life, being comfortable, not dying. And he says, if you love your life, you will lose it. Right? And it, it, it's... It's hard not to love our life in this world, especially where we live. I live in Orange County. It's very similar to here. You know, life can be very comfortable. Yeah. And everything's beautiful around. I was driving in here. I'm like, man, this is, gosh, there's so many mountains. There's, there's not all these homes everywhere. And, and it's wide open. And it's beautiful. And it's easy to just get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And to love life here. Yeah. And to make it all about our life here and for our kids and all those things. But he says, if you live that way, you will lose it. He says, if you hate your life in this world, you will keep it. And the word, the word that is used in the Greek for keep it, um, I don't have it up on the board, but it, it actually, it, it, the terms, that the idea is that you protect your life for eternity. The idea is that if you, if, you, if you lose your life, if you hate your life in this world, you will actually protect it for eternity. It will be kept safe for eternity. And, you know, we live in a time and a world where it's all really actually about self-protection, right. right? Protect yourself and set your boundaries. And we've got to have all kinds of boundaries. And I have boundaries with this person and boundaries with that. And I'm not saying there's not a healthy aspect of that. But sometimes we can take it far, yeah. right? There's boundaries everywhere because we want to self-protect. Right. And Jesus says, no, if you really want to protect your soul, you've got to hate your life in this world. And, of course, hate your life in this world doesn't mean you walk around like, I hate life, and I'm a Christian, so I need to be sad, and this is how you are when you're a Christian, because you got to hate life. No, of course, that's not what he means, right? Because Jesus talked about joy, and he talked about having life to the full, but it's, we don't live for the things of this world. That's what he means, that we live for the things that are eternal and not of this world. I want to show an illustration that I actually found on, on YouTube from a sermon Maybe some of you have seen it, but I want to show it to you. So you got this rope, and imagine this rope goes on for eternity. It doesn't, it ends right there, but imagine that it does, right? And this is your existence. It goes on forever. Now here, I don't know if you can see it. Can you see this little red part? Yeah. yeah. That's our life on earth. Wow. Hmm. And then the rest goes on. And we can live so caught up in what goes on here. Right. And forget about all of this. Right. And I'm going to work really hard right here so that right here I can really enjoy it. And then, right, man, it's going to be fun. This part is going to be so much fun right here. And then I'm going to retire and I'm going to relax right here. And then... And when you look at it like this, it looks very silly, yeah. right. right? 
But we all do that, right? Yeah. Don't we do that? Yeah. Man, man, right here. Oh, this was hard, man. That, that, that little thing, that was really hard. That was, that was tough. But I got through it. Right? right. <laughs> and then we don't think about all this. That this is actually going to go on. And this will be done. And of course, the majority of the world lives for this. But in the church, we can get caught up in this too. As Christians, right? And live just for this and forget the rest. Let's go on there in, uh, in John. Come on, Dan's awesome. I'm Dan, Karen. Nice to meet you. I'm just teasing, Kim. In verse 27, we'll continue here in John 12, in verse 27. She says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So this is Jesus, and he's again the ultimate example of being poured out and dying. And he says, I have come to this point, and he says, my heart is troubled. And the word that is actually probably better translate, terrified. That his heart was terrified. And he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And he said, no. Father, glorify your name. And you know, so many times when we're going through difficult times as Christians and we face a trial, right. and it could be health issues in our family, it could be financial issues, it could be a lot of things, very serious things. Yeah. Our temptation is for our prayer to be, Father, save me from this hour. Right. When our prayer ought to be, Father, glorify your name. You know, we sing that song, Jesus Will Fix It, yeah. right. right? Don't we sing that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus doesn't always fix it. Right. <laughs> Hope I didn't just ruin the song for you. <laughs> we can sing, Jesus might fix it. <laughs> Jesus doesn't always fix it. If Jesus always fixed it, then there'd be no Christians dying of cancer. You know, the people that woke up just a couple days ago and heard about Colorado and the shootings there. Jesus doesn't always fix it in the way that we think. We want Him to fix it. What we ought to pray is, Father, glorify Your name. Maybe it is through a miracle. Or maybe it's simply for us to learn the lesson in this trial. Maybe what He needs to fix is our hearts and not the situation. Right? And Jesus said, look, I am terrified. And, and should I say, save me from this? He goes, no. My prayer needs to be, Father, glorify your name. Right. And we all face different challenges. Can we show the next slide? I think the next slide is my family. Okay, I don't know if you if we could. Can we turn off this light just for a sec? Um, okay, can't see it that well. But actually, the one that you can't see real well is, is my sister, Sonia. My sister, Sandra, is... Uh, next to her there on our right, that's, she's a disciple. My mom is a, is a disciple, and then I'm there in the back. But my sister in the front, Sonia, she, has, she was diagnosed with ALS um, about six months ago. 
and we went to visit her. She's in Guadalajara in Mexico. That's where I grew up. And um, she's basically dying. I mean, there's no cure for ALS, if you, if you know much about ALS, but it's a very challenging uh, illness. And she, you know, she's going to die from this. Do I, you know, God could certainly cure her. I believe that. You know, I believe he has the power to do that. And the temptation is to pray, Father, save her. You know, just take, you know, somehow miracle. But what I, what I have to force myself to pray is, Father, glorify your name. Because it might be through a miracle of healing her physically, but it might be that through this she will see God. Uh, and so, you know, my prayer needs to be, Father, glorify your name. Not save me from this hour or save her from this hour. And, and we all have our different circumstances, right? It may be financial, like I said. It may be a health issue. It may be challenges with our kids as they get older and they face trials. And our temptation is to say, Father, save them. Jesus, fix it. But we need to pray, Father, glorify your name. Whatever is going to glorify your name, do that. And help my heart along the way to be okay with that. And whatever that means, that I will have the right heart and the right perspective. We need to be praying, Father, glorify your name, no matter what the challenge might be that we face. We're going to close out in, uh, in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 2, it's up there on the, on the screen if you're able to see it. In verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other we are the fragrance of life. You know, the Bible says that He always leads us in triumphal procession. And the idea is that the, the Christ as a conqueror, as a king, comes into a city and following Him are those He has taken as captives. And that's us. That Jesus taken us as His subjects, as His captives, as, as His people. Following Him, we are conquered, we're surrendered, we're poured out. That in order to really be with Christ, we've got to be poured out, Right? And it says that we spread everywhere the fragrance of Christ. And I thought of this passage as I, as I did the study on being poured out and the perfume and that idea of, you know, the, the perfume of God can be spread. It can be spread in our fellowship. It can be spread in our, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our jobs, right? That the perfume of God needs to be spread. And yes, to some it will be the smell of death. Right. Not everybody accepts the message of Christ. And there, will, there is a lot of rejection, right? right? But we've got to remember that to those who are seeking God, it is the fragrance of life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we face a lot of rejection, you know, the smell of death, and we want to stop. And, it, and it's hard to keep giving your heart because you want to make an impact and you want to reach out and you want to, you want to be able to help others. But when it's rejected, again, the temptation is, I don't want to die to myself anymore because it's hard. Yeah. I don't want to keep pouring myself out yeah. because it's challenging. But to think, to those who are seeking God, it is the fragrance of life. Mm. 
You know, the Bible said, as we read in John 12, that when the perfume was poured out, the fragrance filled the whole room. It filled the whole room. And the fragrance of Christ will only fill our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, and will only do that if we're actually completely poured out. And so I hope that as we think about our lives, as we think about our walk with God, that, that, that if we do have some jars, that we'll be willing to break them and pour them out and be surrendered and know that, that, that 